All right, well, welcome to the podcast, Integrate Faith and Innovate. Our focus is looking at the integration of faith and decision sciences as we innovate to navigate business strategy and relationships in this challenging current day and age. So my name is Hannah J. Stoles. I'm the director of the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation, and I'm here with my co-host, F.T. Chang, who is the head of private capital at Pine Bridge Investments. Our topic today is around innovation and creating excellence in branding, and we have Kevin Miller here with us today. In addition to serving on the board for the Center for Faith and Innovation, Kevin Miller is a founder and principal consultant of Popular Demand Strategy Group. He understands the entrepreneurial spirit as he has launched several startups and has led multiple growth stage companies. Kevin creates strategies that boost performance and scaling struggling or stagnant businesses by helping helping them reposition their brand as thought leaders and trusted authorities. Most recently, <laughs> most recently, Kevin was the vice president of marketing for C12, the largest network of business forums for Christian CEOs and business owners serving over 3,000 leaders in multiple countries. Kevin was responsible for their global brand strategy, instructional design, event strategy, event curriculum curriculum, executive curriculum development, as well as strategic partnerships. Um, that was a mouthful. Kevin, you've done a lot. Um, we're so glad to have you here with us today. Um, thank you for joining us. That's yeah, great to be with you guys always. Um, FT, why don't we jump in? And yeah. Thank you so much, Hannah. And thanks, Kevin, uh, for coming along. If you Google Kevin Miller, you see the words class clown. So maybe we can talk about that. But um, First of all, thank you. I think uh, you have a lot to share with us. And perhaps we can just start with, you know, your life uh, in brief, your life and faith journey uh, has led you here. Well, strap in because it's going to be a bumpy ride. So <laughs> I have a, an extremely eclectic background and a, a lot of people, um, whenever I tell them all the things that I've done and experiences I've had, they say, how did you cram all that in your short 23 years of life? And um, yeah, I wish that were true. <laughs> I, I started off actually believing that I was going to be this famous musician. So I studied music. That's what I wanted to do. That was my passion. And I actually ended up making my living doing music for a little while. And before you think like, oh, wow, this guy must be really cool. He's a you know, musician. I played trombone. So that kind of strips all the coolness factor out of what I was doing. But I studied that in school and, and thought, honestly, that's what I was going to be doing is um, touring and making my living doing music. Uh, that naturally... Um, spurred into me being in ministry. I, I had been a Christian since I was 12 years old, and um, it just made a lot of sense that I would combine the two passions of my life with my faith with Jesus and my uh, the skills and abilities and talents that he gave me. So it just made a lot of sense that I would go into music ministry. And um, so I did that for a few years out of school. But there was always this, I always had this kind of entrepreneurial itch in me and I felt like, um, you know, I'd always worked jobs doing sales or marketing part time in college. And I always knew that there was something in me. There was a gifting and talent there that that God had given me that I wasn't using as, as I should be. And uh, so the time came when my my father, who was actually in real estate, real estate finance forever, um, said, Kevin, you know, I think. I'm ready to go start my own firm. And I think you would be a great partner to teach you this business. 
and for you to come help me start this firm. So that's, I left the ministry world and thought and felt all this guilt at the time of I'm abandoning my ministry to go into this secular, evil, greedy, you know, world of mortgage finance. And I just at the time felt so awful about what I was doing and felt like I was kind of abandoning a calling. And, and honestly, it took several years for me to realize that um, I had an opportunity to create ministry in the work that I was doing, and it didn't have to be in the church. And um, I think that took me a lot longer than I <laughs> would care to admit. Um, but I, that started a string of me working in literally just about every industry. So everything from our mortgage business to being a restaurateur to having publishing company to working at commercial aviation uniform design and delivery program. I mean, literally, if you if you could think of an industry, I probably worked in it in some sort of sales and marketing capacity. But I still felt this just strange feeling like I I I lived. You know, I was in the church world and, and I felt like I was being a good Christian. And, you know, I, you know, sang Christian songs and and read the Bible and thought, OK, I'm doing my part there. And, and then I had business world and I never figured out how to put those two things together. Yeah. Uh, but then I started launching this consulting practice and I started working with clients who they had figured out how to do this. And they introduced me to this this concept of business as a ministry. And I thought, well, this is perfect. Uh, how do I get, how do I do this? This is incredible. And I started to see those examples play out. And then the opportunity for me to join an organization called C12, which you mentioned in, in the, the bio, uh, really just, you talk about expanding horizons. I mean, it blew the doors wide open to see that, you know, I think you, when people think about Christian companies, there's always these, you know, the the flag bearers, right? The the attention grabbers, the the Chick-fil-A's and the Hobby Lobbies of the world. But I saw literally thousands and experienced thousands of business people who probably would you would never hear of in a PR campaign or maybe even experience their product, but they were doing incredible things for the kingdom of God through their platform of business. And I had the privilege of serving for almost six years in that role of, of not only helping um, kind of evangelize that concept of business as a ministry to people and help them understand it, but then got the opportunity to help de develop curriculum and materials around those concepts to, uh, to equip those CEOs and leaders to incorporate um, those things into their business. And um, I think eventually, you know, again, always had that entrepreneurial itch. And I think uh, at some point it grew into a full-blown rash. And I knew that I wanted to go back out and help multiple companies do the same things that, that we saw. And that's when I launched um, the popular demand brand. And that's what I've been doing ever since last year or the end of last year. So uh, again, I, it's a eclectic journey. Um, God has been in it the entire time and has, has guided all of this. And I look back, I think as a lot of people do on your experiences and you say, God, why would you ever have me do that? And then you land in a position and you're like, oh, now I see, I get it now. Right. Like it was part of your amazing plan the entire time. So 
anyway, that's that's how I got here. Um, and yeah, it's been a fun journey. Company, uh, serves only Christian businesses, or is it no. every company? No, I mean, obviously, um, you know, through the ever expanding network that I've built over the years, that that's going to be inherent. But I think one of the things that I love about my business is um, that I, I don't need to exclusively serve Christian led businesses or Christian owned businesses to utilize my platform and, and not um, suppress who I am and why I do what I do with those clients, but to help them recognize that there's something different in the way that I'm doing it. And with the excellence that I do it, that um, to me points back to uh, somebody other than me, and, and that's our creator. So that that's why I do what I do. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story too. I don't think I realized that you were in you know music music ministry. Um, I don't know why I put that in quotes, but we'll just put music ministry in quotes there. Um, no offense. Guitar <laughs> behind him, anyway. Right, right. Oh, that's true. I knew you were a musician, but I have I have two questions out of that. Um, so I I'll ask I'll ask the first one first. I of course I'll ask the first one first. But um, when you were at C12 and you were you 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 know C12 has such um, amazing branding and really clear messaging, and I know that you are um, a big part of developing that there. Um, when you think about what is central to you know kind of the the messaging there and what is central in in the hearts and the of the different ceos that join c12 and our members um what was the most important thing that you learned there over the years that really needed to be communicated to you know in terms of curriculum in terms of engagement um what was the hook and what was it that you saw transform people when they came in Oh gosh, there were so many things that created transformation and that was the marketer's challenge, mm -hmm. right? Is to um, talk about all the great things that were happening in the C12 network um, and making it resonate with a very wide, diverse audience. But I think at the root of it all, and this is, this is honestly even a little bit of my own personal journey, but this understanding that God has called us to be excellent not in spite of our faith, but because of our faith. And so if you if you go to my LinkedIn profile, and I would love to connect with any of you, go to my LinkedIn profile, you'll see two words at the top, and it's eradicate mediocrity. And then right under that is Colossians 3.23, right? So that's the reason I do and want to eradicate mediocrity is because I feel like God does not like mediocrity, especially with his people. He wants us to be the standard bearer. He wants us to be the one that sets the bar for excellence because that's that reflects his excellence. And so when he calls us to that, we have to rise to the challenge. And that doesn't mean just in one area of our life. And I think that's the thing with C12 is that it's this integration of every piece of your life. So you can't be an excellent business person and be killing it in the marketplace if you're ignoring your family. You can't, you know, you can't be a great ministry champion and only focus everything that you do on creating ministry if the culture at your business doesn't match that excellence. And so I think the biggest thing with C12 that is the hardest thing to get over is that you're that or to understand is that every element and dimension of your life should be um, disciplined and practiced and um, 
with the aim of perfection, right? So we're never going to achieve it, but we can aim for that. Uh, and because of our creator not um, using our, our relationship with Jesus as the excuse for why we should have more grace in our business practices or why we should have more grace as a, as a husband or father or mother or wife, everything should be excellent because of him. So, so who keeps you honest, right? So you have so many balls you have to keep in the air, uh, family too. Who keeps you mm -hmm. honest? What accountability do you have? You haven't met my wife, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so she is my truth teller. She is the, the yin to my yang for sure. Um, but I, I surround myself. I have a group of, of guys that I meet with every other week, and we we are all business people, but we don't just talk about business. We talk about marriage and we talk about family and we talk about relationships and we talk about our calling. And, um, and, and I tell people like you better wear steel toed boots to those meetings because you're going to get your toes stepped on. And that's what I think everybody needs in their life, whether it's through a formal, you know, peer group like a C12 or something else, or you have an accountability group, if you're not having people speak into your life with uh, conviction and honesty and transparency and vulnerability, uh, those blind spots start to become real big. And um, I've, I've gone through some hard corrections, you know, in my journey. And I think those are all parts of what shaped me. So um, I, I do have people around me um, that are keeping me honest and keeping me focused on, on the real prize, which is not, uh, revenue numbers. Um, you know, it's not, um, you know, it's not any other metric or KPI that you could throw in a business book, but it's about, are you doing what God has called you to do and doing it with the excellence that he expects? Yeah. I was just talking to some people this week and uh, someone asked the question. I hadn't thought about it before. Like, what do you need if you, you know, to face failure and, uh, and I, it came to me that you do need community, right? You, knew, you need your group of men around you to fail well, meaning <laughs> to learn from the failure as opposed to having it crush you. So I'm glad to hear you have a group. Yes. I'd love to ask um, that, that second question. Um, you know, you just made a transition from C12 and FT. Thanks for asking the question. You know, so are you working only with Christian, you know, clients now that you've moved out of C12? Um, I'd be really interested to know, um, and maybe the answer, well, I can't tell you the answers, but the answer could be nothing, but but what changes when you go from an organiz organization like C12 that's openly Christian, that you know works in a community of Christian CEOs, and then you shift and you launch a company um, and start working in a space that is not just Christian. So does, does anything change? What, or what does change? What have you felt in that, trans in that transition? So I, I believe it shouldn't change, right? Like if you're, if you're one person with your clients who are, you know, faith led or incorporate their faith and, and you're different to the, the way you treat clients that aren't of the same faith, uh, that bifurcation of your calling to me, that, that would be so hard for me to keep up with. I don't even know how I would do that. Right. Um, is it going to cost relationships and business because I'm not willing to stamp down the Jesus, you know, in what I do probably, but I'm okay with that. Um, but the funny thing is that I think even with clients that aren't 
Christian and we don't share the same faith, they look in and say, hey, I don't really care what your motivations are for why you do what you do, but there's something different about who you are and why you do the way business the way that you do business that is attractive um, to what we're trying to accomplish. And so um, I, I think obviously there's a there's a different connection when you are working with a, a, a client who shares the same faith as you, right? You're going to be able to talk about things that you know you maybe can't talk about with others. There's going to be experiences you can share and that you may not be able to share with others. But at the at the um, bottom line of of the relationship, you should you should never look at a Christian client and say. I don't have to do as much or work as hard for them because they're going to give me grace because we're of the same faith. That, it, it, ugh, that kind of disgusts me actually. Um, when I hear that, when people say, well, it's okay that I didn't deliver that on time or it's okay that I didn't give that hundred percent of my effort because we're Christians. Like we, we should give each other grace. I, I don't think that's biblical. Oh, I don't. Um, yeah, I, I would say that would be a pretty frustrating statement um, on my end <laughs> as well. I'm trying to think um, the, the institutions I've been at have pretty high standards of excellence, so I don't think it would fly in a in a Wheaton context for sure. Um, no, it wouldn't. Uh, well, and, you know, in my business dealings with Christians and non-Christians, I actually expect the same level of integrity everywhere. <laughs> Perhaps mm -hmm. a little bit more unfairly if I'm with Christians, so... Uh, and not to be, yeah, taking 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 advantage, taken for granted just because we are Christian brothers, right? So, yeah, uh, I, I think it's it's actually a risky proposition because, you know, just because you slap an ichthus on your business card or you put a Bible verse on your company website, you've now just invited scrutiny to let's to say, okay, let's see what you got there, Christian Christian boy. You know, like, are you going to be, are you going to use that as an excuse? Or are you going to live up to what that means? And so, you know, I, it frustrates me, especially as a, a guy who loves branding and loves messaging, brand messaging and brand strategy. Uh, if you say, oh, well, let's just put a Bible verse on it. Let's slap a Bible verse on there. And then all the Christians will come running. Um, yikes. <laughs> yikes. So when you talk about, I love this this um, term, eradicate mediocrity, uh, and you think about the ways that you know the our our goal is to think about how does faith drive us to to innovate, to think differently about the world around us. Um, when you go in, you're working with companies and building out their messaging, their brands, um, thinking strategically about what is it that they're delivering of value into the marketplace. Um, where where do you think that in in your experiences that faith gives us the most opportunity to innovate or where have you seen faith drive innovation in your experiences? Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the things I love so much about CFI is that I think a lot of people would never put the words faith and innovation together. Right. Um, I think we as Christians sometimes are seen as the ones that are 20 years behind the times. Um, and so I like to, juxtapose that thought and be the disruptor of that thought process to say that if you unleash the creativity and innovation of heaven and apply that to the marketplace, uh, I think it gives you a distinct competitive advantage. And, um, and that's what I try to do in my process is, is obviously lean on, um, my relationship with Jesus to say, Hey, 
you know, guide me here, give me the, the inspiration, give me the motivation, give me the right ideas um, to be strategic because I don't ever want to get ahead of my skis and say, um, I don't want to have, I don't want to have God co-sign on my strategies later on. You know, I don't want to go six months down the road and then say, oh yeah, God, just by the way, this is what I'm doing. And will you sign off on this? Um, I, I don't think that's how you innovate uh, as a Christian. I think you are in connection and, and you're abiding with Christ where that inspiration and creativity that only he can unleash in people um, is maximized and optimized with the relationship. Yeah. And it, it's not just um, like technical innovation, which you know Christians should be should be on the forefront of, but also innovation in the in the way we treat people, the way we can forgive, the way we can be open, uh, the ability to take risks, the ability to bounce back from failures. All of those things uh, help us to be different, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then sometimes Christians are not so good at. And put describing their own concepts. So uh, the whole concept of servant leadership, which really was a Christian concept, now is you know being adopted everywhere. Um, and I think there there are things that we we should as Christians take from our faith practice and take it into the workplace. You know, uh, actually yes. the word stewardship now, which Christian concept now is a you know environmental, social, and governance stewardship um we should mine our own uh, spiritual practice and bring it in before other people do it you know oh yeah for you it's the whole purpose-driven company thing right uh that's uh, also from from really from arose from christian circles yeah and it is our new economy and the, the purpose economy is the new economy so it's it's funny that um, you know I think we maybe were the the front line of that, but to see how the world is following, and it's funny you are even seeing, um, you know, secular brands, if you want to use that terminology, that limiting terminology, adopt this concept of being part of something bigger than their brand, being being part of something bigger than the self, and. Um, I mean, that's great. That's inspiring, right? That people are understanding that they have a platform that can be used for positive impact in the world. Good for them. Um, Our brand is a little bit different of the kind of positive impact we're hoping to create. Ours is uh, kingdom oriented. Um, But I think the concept is the same. And I agree with you, FT, that um, innovation is not always just the latest technology or um, uh, a way to automate something and i think that's the default but true innovation is continuous improvement true innovation is looking at the things you're doing now and seeing is there a better way to do it if you look at the the leadership books from 20 years ago and what it meant to be a strong leader 20 years ago and what the meaning of a strong leader is today two completely different worlds right but you're right. That's an innovative process. Somebody had to innovate along the way and say, there's a better way to lead people. There's a, probably a better way to build culture. There's probably a better way to unlock creativity within people and push them to uh, things that they never thought they could be pushed before. And so, um, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Innovation is not just tied to um, you know, living in the future and a, a crystal ball. 
I get I get a question a lot for my my students and thinking about you know because um, I like I like to say that you know preaching the gospel is a way of branding or creating messaging around who Jesus is, and mm-hmm. um, there's there's been some stuff coming out like rebranding Jesus, thinking about Jesus within the context of history, um, and when you think about you know what comes through in the central messaging you know in in the work that you've done. Um, over the years with C12 and working with Christian companies, um, what are some of the different values and messages that you've seen that have been really powerful as they've played out in business? Have you seen like, you know, certain things that have kind of stood out over the years that, um, yeah, kind of, kind of created brands for Jesus? Yeah, I think, I think the challenge for, um, for Christian brands is to figure out what are the tickets to the game and then how are you going to win the game, right? So I think we talk a lot about core values and brand values and brand promises, and we put integrity and honesty and, um, you know, excellence. Those are, to me, those are tickets to get in the door, right? So um, those are things you should be doing anyway, right? Because you're not going to be in business very long unless you're doing those things. But what are the what are the brand elements that you're implementing at your company that then communicate, but this is how we're doing it differently than everybody else? And I think, um, you know, one of the things that, that we're seeing now with Christian brands is understanding that um, it's okay for them to push the envelope a little bit too, right? So they can be avant-garde, they can be out front, they can be creative and not feel like they have to live in this box. Um, but I think it's also just the ability for their messaging to be not solely just focused on things that are intrinsic to their company um, or to um, their culture, but how are they communicating that outward in a way that attracts and engages other people? So I think a lot of Christian companies wanted to operate on this kind of covert, like, oh my gosh, if we, if we put a, you know, if we talk about our faith or if we talk about why we do what we do, then all of a sudden, you know, hundreds of people are going to line up in front of our business with picket signs. Yeah, that may happen. Unlikely, you know, especially if like you're an accounting firm, I I just don't know, you know, that people are going to do that, but it is a risk you take, but um, what's the trade-off of being authentic? I'd rather be authentic and lose business than be inauthentic and be a you know billionaire. To me, that just I I, I think that's biblical as well. But I think um, to answer your question specifically, I think the messaging for for Christian brands in particular is for them to very clearly paint why how they are different and and why. And if you leave out the why, the how doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, I think sometimes um, uh, Christian firms or companies or people come across as preachy or judgmental, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we are a lot of times. We don't do this, we don't do that. And they, they forget the other part, which is, you know, it's for freedom that, that Christ has set us free. So mm-hmm. there are two things to me I think are really important for young people. One is freedom. I think uh, a lot of young people are quitting the great resignation right? because mm-hmm. they want freedom to do what they want to do. Uh, and companies should afford them some freedom, some some type of freedom. The other one is joy. Uh, mm-hmm. Cara, uh, Christian firms should have a sense of joy. You know, the, I think of the cow in, uh, um, in Chick-fil-A. 
<laughs> telling people to eat chicken instead of uh, beef, um, that the sense of joy and sense of freedom is something really we can innovate and, and put into companies and say, hey, it's a, you, there's this joy here. It's not just pursuit of career and, and money, which is important, but there has to be some joy, right? That's where I think that's one of the things we can bring. Which is which is why you know I, I think you do your uh, you do uh, part of your trade trademark or part of your brand, Kevin, is a little bit of being uh, joyful, irreverent. different, irreverent. <laughs> Tell us about that. Tell us about that aspect of your brand, which I, I would say is Christian. You know, irreverent is freedom. Yeah, it's so true. It's funny. I um, I think when people think joy at work, they automatically go toward ping pong tables and Nerf guns and cold brew, you know, bars in the break room, and that's not that's not how you create joy in the workplace. You know, a lot of times it, it's really different for each company, but your culture, your joy, your brand of joy, may be the freedom for people to create and innovate and make mistakes and and um, and feel like they have a voice into what's what's going on for me somebody like me that brings extreme joy i couldn't care less if i have a ping pong table in my office right i want i want the joy and freedom of being able to innovate and create and and um fail forward and so i think it's it's us redefining what joy is but i think ft that's such a great um, line of connection which is um joy being freedom and i think uh, you know, again, if you compare business models and leadership models from 20 years ago, um, that is what the future is going to be is unlocking freedom within your culture for people to, um, to have a voice and sometimes joy. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I find extreme joy in debate. So I love throwing an idea on the table and just hammering it out back and forth and, you know, um, I used, it's funny, I used to joke all the time with my team. I'm like, the fastest way for me to, to like get happy and get these little tingles in my body is if you tell me I'm wrong. And I'm like, whoo, here we go. Now we're, now we're innovating. Now we're creating. Now we're doing something fun. Like that is joy. And I, I get it. That's not for everybody. But knowing your, knowing your company and knowing what joy looks like to you and capitalizing on that brand will not only make you attractive to other people, customers and people that want to come work for you. Um, but it also is you being authentic and people, I think people just see through stuff right now. I think that's one of my biggest frustrations with people in marketing right now is, you know, we, we have a lower trust rating than us Congress. That's hard to do. Right. Um, but it's because we're not, we're not honest and we're not, we, we, they see us as manipulative and they see marketers as people that, um, aren't straightforward and are trying to get one over on us. Uh, how can we change that? And I think Christians in marketing probably have a better chance of changing that narrative than anybody else. And I know there are some of us out there that are. Yeah, I think I disagree with everything you just said, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know that's not true. No, I don't at all. Um, I don't disagree at all. I, I think it's it's really interesting, you know, in, in bringing up the distrust of, of marketing and, um, you know, CFI has a, a training conference, a integrate seminar coming up in April, and you're going to be doing some workshops there on resilient branding. 
And I think a part of, we need resilience both for our people and our customers and, you know, that our suppliers and our companies, but we also need brands that have messaging that can withstand, you know, sociopolitical disruptions and the things that are going on in the world around us. So I, I'm guessing you've been thinking about this, um, but when you think about, you know, building resilience into a brand strategy, what are some of the key things that we should be thinking about and how do we build, you know, resilient brands, resilient culture in our organizations? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's funny, literally Chris Allen and I, who's going to be co-presenting that workshop and I were talking this morning about this and he and I get all jazzed up when we talk about this stuff because I bring the world of brand strategy, brings the world of culture and we get excited about the things when there's alignment and a lot of those things. I think, um, the thing that's frustrating for a lot of brands is when they're trying to put on a face or they're trying to put on a brand that is not who they are. It's not, it's not their authentic self. I, I used to get, and I still get, unfortunately, people that, that call me up and they're like, Hey, Kevin, can you help us like come up with mission, vision and core values? And I'm like, Hey, that's exciting. And they're like, but like write it in a way that makes people want to do business with us. And I'm like, uh, the formula is backwards, right? Like you actually have to be that first before you can say that's who you are. So just putting something out there to attract people when it's inauthentic and disingenuous is not, that's never going to be long lasting and that's not going to be resilient. I think the other thing that you're seeing in this world today is um, the, the past of being able to say, here's our marketing strategy for the next five years. And then just being able to follow that marketing strategy uh, that's not how that works anymore <laughs> because you'll spend all this time building this marketing strategy and um, you know, six months down the road, things change. And that's why you build strategies that are resilient in that the core of them is effective, but building in also the flexibility of being able to change and adapt and be agile as you navigate different economic and social and environmental and political conditions that may affect that that you are equipped to um, to pivot when you need to. And I think, you know, COVID obviously hit the fast forward button on people pivoting. Uh, and I'm kind of tired of that word, actually. Um, and I think everybody is, so I'm going to stop using it. But, you know, changing, it's not changing direction. It's not changing vision. It's not changing mission. It's changing the strategy and how you do that. We talk a lot about commander's intent, right? So if, if the commander says, take that hill, and everybody charges forward and we go take that hill, but then you get flanked and all these people are blocking you. Well, even though the commander may not still be there, you're not probably not going to run through those people that are trying to fight you, right? You're going to figure out a, another way to get around them and go up the hill. And so that's what effective strategy development looks like now is having the ability for um, quick adjustments and changes to strategy and uh, whether it's marketing or organizational strategy, operational strategy, it doesn't matter what it is. It's it's the ability to build in resilience to your strategy. Yeah, um, you mentioned right at the start, um, you had this uh, pent up feeling about your gifting and talent, hmm. uh, and it kind of you discovered it later. Uh, for the young people listening in, right, who may be college or leaving. Um, how do you get a better sense of gifting and talent? How do you, uh, in your case, your father took you out into the business world. How do you get out of a track you may be on 
that really you have this nagging feeling that's not who I am. Yeah. Uh, so my advice would be that you can't always jump ship when you come to that realization, right? So sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to get to the place where you can do that, right? And I, I've done that in my career where there's places that I've been and I'm like, you know what, I'm pro this is probably not my long term. This is probably not where I'm going to be. And this is probably not the best use of my calling. But you can't just jump ship and and run to what that might be. I think um, I think there's a million. I'm a huge student of you know kind of personality assessments and profile of you know how understanding and self discovery about yourself and what makes you unique and what makes you tick. And understanding those things first, you have to understand who you are, what God has equipped you to be. Um, I think the easiest advice I can give you is ask Him. He's pretty good about telling you, you know, yeah. and so that's the starting point. But then just going on this journey of really learning more about yourself and what gives you energy and what drains your energy. And then try to avoid being in positions and roles in companies and industries where you're constantly being drained of your energy and find things that energize you. And then um, you'll learn. I mean, I never, you know, 20 something years ago would have ever thought that, you know, I would be building brand strategies for, you know, global enterprises. You know, I was just happy to pick up the trombone and, and play in an orchestra, but knowing what's true about yourself and what's authentic to you um, helps you then as you're going down the path to recognize those opportunities that do leverage what God has gifted you to do. Yeah. And being a Christian, you also have another source of courage, I guess, in that, mm. uh, you know, your priorities are heavenward and uh, making a mistake is not going to end everything for you. If, if that were the case, I would not be here with you right now. <laughs> yeah. Made plenty of those in my life. Yeah. Hannah, do we have to, uh, what's our timing like? Yeah, we're right at, um, we are right at the end of our time. And one of the things that we like to do at the end is kind of think about practical takeaways because we want to really be a space that thinks about, you know, why does faith matter? How does it help us make decisions in business? And what what takeaways should our listeners or audience kind of take away from this conversation? Um, so I'll jump in and start, Kevin, just to give you a minute if you want to give a takeaway. Um, one of the things that I really stood out to me in thinking about building brands and resilience is the importance of um not just being authentic, but knowing what God's called you to and how you're mm -hmm. gifted, um, because that's how you know what hills to take. So our calling and the passion and the people that God, you know, really gives us a desire to serve. Um, there's going to be a lot of different ways that we can do that. There's a lot of different strategies for taking the hill. And if we keep our focus on, you know, who God's called us to love, who God's called us to serve and, and the skills and talents he's entrusted us with, it can look different. We can have a lot of different contexts. We can fail and find other ways of, of taking that hill. So I think that's that's a great takeaway for me for today. So thank you for that, Kevin. Sure. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll give you my takeaway. If I have to say there's a couple of things that I would want everybody to leave with is one, just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? So I think a lot of people probably listening to this will hear this and think, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do everything. I'm going to go grab everything and then kind of sort it out as we go. But you will find as you are in this abiding relationship 
with Christ that he will tell you where you should be and the things you should be doing. And he'll help you start to carve out the things that he is not calling you to do. And so it may not happen immediately for you, but over your time and your journey, if you're staying in that consistent communication, he will reveal that to you. And then obviously I want everybody to adopt my mantra of eradicate mediocrity. So find those places in your life where you are identifying mediocrity and figure out how are you going to eradicate it from your life and start to create a plan. Don't try to do them all at once. Uh, for me, that would have been an overwhelming task, but try to pick a couple and just focus on eradicating those areas of mediocrity in your life. And then to FT's point, if you don't know where those are, get a pe group of people around you that you trust that will tell you where those are <laughs> mm -hmm. and make sure that they're, they're not the uh, kind of Christians that pat you on the back and say, oh, we'll pray for you. No, you need the kind of Christian that's in your face with a finger going, stop doing that. Yeah, FT, how about you? What's one takeaway? Yeah. Well, um, a little bit unrelated to today. It's just uh, I wanted to, I've been taking a lot of comfort this week uh, in Psalm 37, right? Um, and I just wanted to read a couple of verses. So Psalm 37 starts with, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For they are like grass, they will soon wither like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. That's just this week being an extraordinarily trouble, troubling week that uh, uh, God is still sovereign, even in horrible times. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, thank you for that, FT. And I think um, there is resilience and being able to abide in God and knowing who we are in him. So it, it all, it all comes together. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for coming, you know, your, your time and telling your story. And um, I think you gave us a lot of really, really great things to think about. So um, I'm excited to hear more from you in April. And uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. One thing we like to do at the very end is just pray for our audience that God just cements those um, the things that they've heard and that the Holy Spirit inspires something in this conversation. Um, so Kevin, would you be comfortable praying as we close? Yeah, happy to. Thank you. Father, we just thank you for the ability for us to, through this technology, to record thoughts and share them with an audience that may never uh, be in front of us personally. And so we just ask that today, as we've discussed a lot of things that are very focused on uh, the future and what ideal looks like and um, what thriving looks like, that you'll keep us focused, not on the bright and shiny things in front of us, but that first and foremost, that we stay focused on you and that we know that if we're, if we're staring at you intently and we're listening for your word and your guidance, that you will give it. And it may not be in our timing, Lord. It may not be in the way that we want it, and it may not be in confirmation of the things we think, but we ask for your truth. We ask for your um, guidance. We ask for your guardrails on this road that we're on to keep us focused on the path that you want us to be on. And uh, Lord, we just want to harness the creativity and innovation of who you are as our creator and reflect that into our society. Show the excellence that you have called us to. And 
Um, Lord, we know that may not always be easy and it may not always look right to the world, but we know that um, through you, that powerful things can be done and impact can be created and change can be made. And so we just ask for that today, Lord, and we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you very much. It's great. Thank you.